Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm Kate, the producer of Pod Rocket, and with me is Jason Langsdorf. Hello, Jason. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, why don't you tell the audience a little about yourself and kind of what you're currently working on? Sure. So uh, I am the VP of Developer Experience at Netlify. I'm also the host of Learn with Jason, which is a live stream show where I pair program with people in the community to learn something new in 90 minutes a couple times a week. Um, I have been doing this for a long time. Prior to being in the kind of educational roles that I'm in now, I worked as a, a front end dev. I was a ran a front end agency for a long time. Moved into kind of contract work. Ended up over at IBM where I did a lot of front end architecture work. Um, and then uh, realized that I really like teaching people how to do stuff and socializing concepts and trying to help people make better architecture decisions. Which is how I ended up at at Netlify. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah, we've had Cassidy Williams on. We've had Ben Hong on. Um, I worked with uh, Kenny and he has, oh, nice. hasn't been on the podcast, but he wrote for us back in the day. And it's only a matter of time before he's on here. So <laughs> very familiar with the Netlify team. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess kind of to start, um, can you maybe talk a little about how your role is different as you know, a VP of developer experience from like an individual contributor, contributor, um, kind of what that progression is like and what kind of are the differences there? So I think the, the thing that I've noticed is that, um, the transition into any kind of management role or, or leadership role is that you, you largely end up doing context sharing work. So what I was doing as an individual contributor is I would write a lot of the content, build a lot of the demos, do workshops and, and things like that. As I've moved into this VP role, I can do very little of that. So um, I'm now on probably 10% of the, the number of events that I was doing, podcasts, things like that. I am speaking at like three events total in 2022. And most of what I do now instead is I'm trying to clear a path for the people on my team to go and do that kind of work. So I'm making introductions to get people writing content. I'm suggesting people as speakers and and trying to work on strategy and and kind of scope and and the more admin uh, long term vision stuff, so that we can have a, a bunch of targets to shoot for, and then set the team loose to go and and try to hit those targets. So it's it's much more about gathering and sharing context than it is about doing the actual work. Which is kind of, it's a it's an odd adjustment to make, I think, um, especially if you're used to being an IC when you make the role the role change into management, it can feel like your whole job you're like always trying to do real work, which is a it feels odd, right? To be in that that situation where, well, I used to build things and now I have meetings. And what I'm realizing is that I like my job is to have meetings so that the ICs don't have to. Um, I can go gather the context. I can go gather the requirements. I can make sure that things are written down in a way that that people can look at asynchronously and not have to have meetings to to understand it, so that they can go and do work and be confident that the work they're doing is the right work. Um, I'm still adjusting to that because it, it is hard for me to not do the to not actually do the thing to just kind of like plan it and then be like, okay, you got it. I'll see you later. <laughs> that, that part feels a little bit strange, but it, it is, a, um, it's very rewarding, but also a very different role from what I was doing before. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and one thing, uh, so Netlify, I think we actually just had a uh, Chantastic on the podcast oh, nice. and, um, he was talking about, uh, we were talking about corporate, corporate communities. Um, and, uh, we were saying how, you know, Netlify seems to be one of the few that is doing it really well. And, um, it's a community that doesn't necessarily feel like a corporate community. And, um, I don't mean to put that title on you if that's what you want to avoid, but, um, uh, I guess I'm kind of curious, how do you make it feel like organic still? And um, how do you plan a strategy around a community? Um, I think there are a few things in there, right? So the the first thing is get the right team. You know, the, the core of a good community is people that you want to spend time with and people that you are interested in getting to know. So if you surround yourself with great people who are just fun to hang out with and and who are doing interesting things and building stuff that you find exciting it's that sort of you know like attracts like if if uh if if you've ever seen like charlie gerard and the projects that she builds you you're not coming over because you're like oh i like netlify so let's see what charlie's doing you're like what is charlie going to come up with next she's out there building something she's controlling computers with her mind she's doing motion controls for street fighter it is off the wall how just inventive she is. And when you see Cassidy or Phil or Tara out there being really funny and inventive and and just making this goofy stuff that makes them laugh and they're trying to make other people laugh, you know, and and it just like the whole team, you know, Kenny and Ben, and they're all amazing, amazing creators and they all do great work. So that's at the core of it. Like each of them is somebody that independent of where they work or what they work on, you, you're just interested in seeing what they're going to do next. And I think that forms a great community because you see that in creative communities all the time. That's at the core of Dribble. It's at the core of, of GitHub. It's, you know, people sharing their work and being excited together about things that they can create. So at the root of it all, there's that. And then I think beyond that is you can't strategize around a community in, in terms of saying like, we're going to get the community to do this. I think it's more, the, the strategy is how do we make the community healthy? Because the, like what makes the Netlify community healthy is that it's not the Netlify community. It's a broader, like this is a group of people who are building for the web. Some of them use Netlify to do so. It's, it's largely more like we're trying to, to give people more tools to build better stuff and trying not to be possessive about it. You know, I think if we, if we were out there saying like, well, you can't talk about like AWS, you can't talk about Vercel, like our community would close down in a hurry. If we were like sliding into somebody's DMS and being like, oh, you're promoting our competitors. That makes us really uncomfortable. Like people would stop working with us at all. That's a really uncomfortable way to be, to get, to get that kind of like weird backend shade just because you're trying another tool. So instead we, we encourage you go out, try everything, like try all the stuff that's out there, just build cool stuff. And, and our hope is that we're building the tools that make that the most enjoyable and effective and performant experience so that you will use us at least some of the time. Right. Um, and so I, I think that that's a, that's a key thing is, is recognizing that like, this isn't a zero sum game. That's not like, if one company succeeds, then Netlify fails. Multiple companies can succeed in a space. And that's a good thing. That means that you've got a healthy ecosystem. If there's only one player in the space, that one player now holds 
all of the marbles. And if they stop working on the tool, if they if they pivot and change what they're building, the whole community's done. You know, the and when we've seen that happen where like a tool shuts down and it's just over. Like, you know, I, I feel like that's a, that's not a fun place to be. It's not a thing you want to see happen. I think like Tumblr is a good example of this, where at one point there's this huge community completely centered around Tumblr. And when it closed down, that was, it was like, cool. So where do all these people go? Right. They built all these bonds and they had to scramble to find ways to, to build that community in another way. So I'm a big fan of of resilient communities and resilience means letting the community be a community and supporting it, not trying to control it or or divert its attention or or force it to be a certain way. You just want to let people be excited about things and give them more things that will help them build more things to be excited about. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, that yeah. Um how important is um so in like developer experience, how important is building like a personal brand outside of, um, so I like learn with Jason, for example, um, like how important is it to have, you know, kind of other stuff you're working on and other, another brand inside of kind of the, the Netlify team or whatever company. So I'm going to caveat everything that's about to come out of my mouth with this is how it worked for me and the people I know. So this is going to be just covered with survivorship bias, right? So um, that being said, what I have noticed is that you can get into DevRel and be really good at it and, and run a developer experience role with no online presence. You don't even need a Twitter account. You you can be extremely effective as a creator behind the scenes and, and, you know, just be somebody who is, is so good at empowering the community that no one even needs to know you exist. You just are this powerhouse. Um, having a personal brand certainly makes it easier to get a job. I mean, there's, it is so much easier to get the intro, to get the interview. If you're coming with this personal brand, that is basically a walking resume. If you look at my Twitter account, you can see the work that I've been doing in public and you can see the impact that I've had and if you like the stuff that I do and it seems like a good match, then, hey, I'm a pretty good fit for your company, right? <laughs> like there's no reason to believe that I would materially change who I am if I join another company. So that makes it much easier. You know, I'm kind of interviewing in public all the time. And, and I think that is a, so there, there is an incentive to that. I think the other thing too, is that especially in, in DevRel and Dev Experience, what we're, what we're looking for is somebody who is consistent. You know, I, I have found that the people who make the biggest impacts aren't the people who disappear for five years and then have a huge launch and then disappear for five years again. Like that's great in music. I, it's one of the things that makes like art fun is that somebody will, will drop off the map and then they, they resurface with something really exciting. And that can be exciting in, in tech, but I don't know. I, I find that what I really love are the, the consistent creators. Who's, who's going to do a little bit every day and just always incrementally move the move the community forward and and be thinking about how can I make this all 1% better today. And I think that with a public image um that's an like that is one way to do that. You can be a, a constant presence in the community that is always trying to make it a little bit better and that's you know that is one way of being consistent. You can also be a regular blogger. You can make regular regular video streams, uh, either live or recorded. You know, publish something pre-recorded to YouTube. Um, 
you know, Brian Douglas is killer at that. He, he makes really funny videos. He's very consistent with it. So you see those go up all the time. You've got people like, um, uh, Salma, Salma Naylor at, uh, at Contentful is doing amazing work of streaming, like how to build things. And she's super consistent with that. Right. And so when you see these creators, no matter what their medium is, whether they've got a huge Twitter following or not, they have found a place where they can be consistently helpful and beneficial to the community. So to me, that like that's a strong signal to me that this is the right person to bring into a DevRel org is this is somebody who's doing it because it's important to them and they're they're good at being consistent. They're even keel about it. They don't like go with high energy for a while and then disappear for a few months and then come back with high energy again. Like we want somebody who's who's always just doing that that gentle push. Um, doing it in public is part of the job, so it's kind of a public resume to build the side thing. But I think it's very, very, very important to emphasize that like you do not need to be Twitter famous to be a DevRel. Um, it is it is absolutely not a requirement. And even if you are very good at your job, you don't need to become Twitter famous. You don't need to have side projects. You don't need to do any side gigs or side hustles like that's not a requirement for being successful in this this role um and a lot of times it can be a distraction because you know one of the things that's hardest in devrel if you start taking the side gigs is not burning out like everybody wants you on on this podcast that event this you know this place wants you to write an article well it's it's always you know you you get a lot of a lot of asks for your time and it's really, really fun to do all like I love being on podcasts, but if I was on a podcast every day, in addition to doing my job, you can bet I would burn out. So there's a, a lot of, um, you know, having that public persona is good, but the, the flip side is that it will burn you out if you're not careful. And that's, you know, that's also not a good thing. Like as someone who has burned out and burned down my whole career and like ran away for a couple of years to, to not do anything strenuous. That is, <laughs> that's not a path that I wish on anybody. You know, you, you want to be in a position to sustainably continue to advance and, and, you know, uh, everything that you're trying to do simultaneously is another burden. Uh, whether it's a burden you enjoy or not is, is kind of immaterial. It's a thing that you have agreed to do. And so that can get really challenging and, and can be a, uh, it can be a cause of burnout. So. That's like a, totally. a very windy answer to that question. No, that's <laughs> um, yeah, there was a couple. Um, so first you mentioned um, like putting something out there, being consistent. Um, your recent blog post, I was just reading it before this episode. Um, you kind of talk about how like uh, when you see like a really awesome piece of content and you're like, oh man, I'm worried like this mine isn't cool enough to put out. Um but uh, in your blog post, you talk about, you know, uh, like this awesome piece of content didn't just like pop out of nowhere. It's been it's a result of like a lot of iterations and consistent um, cons being consistent, putting stuff out there, trying things uh, that I am so familiar with that uh, feeling <laughs> being on the content team at LogRocket. Um, and so I think uh that's, it's a really good, really good piece of advice. I think um, you even mentioned um, when you're doing live streams, how little things like setting up your uh, your camera so that like your notes are eye level sort of, so it doesn't look like you're looking away. Little things like that, where you maybe don't think about that when you're planning all this stuff and you can only learn it when you do it. Um, Pod Rocket, 
uh, we started doing, we were like five episodes a month and, you know, now, now we're at 10. Um, and so it's, it really like what it, what the bandwidth that we had was barely five. Like I'm going to say we maybe even just did four in the first month, um, to now being able to like all of our learnings, we're able to now double our production. Um, I think, but yeah, I, I, my, my point was, uh, tell me more about kind of your, your experience with the content and kind of iterating and that sort of stuff. Yeah. What, so one of the best pieces of advice that I got had nothing to do with tech. And it was uh, a friend of mine who has this pattern of like going all in on something and then feeling like it's not working and then kind of burning the whole house down and starting over. Right. So it's, it's this been this constant process of like, okay, I'm going to do this and it's going to be different this time. It's going to be perfect and nothing is going to go wrong. And this, you know, this, this is, I've known, he's been a friend of mine since, oh, I don't know. We were 10 years old or so. So we've been through a lot together and he has spent the last like five years or so trying to address this tendency he has to, to like any, anything that feels frustrating. He, he has to fight this urge to start over. And, um, what he's been doing is actually studying a lot of like mindfulness and meditation. And that's never really been a thing for me. I'm not, I'm not a big meditator. Uh, I don't have anything against it. It's just not something that has been like, I've tried it and I don't know, it didn't feel right. But what he, what he's been finding is a lot of stuff about just experiencing feelings versus letting feelings control you. And, and, um, and one of these feelings is like this perfectionism, like this feeling that it's not good enough and therefore cannot exist. Right. And, um, and he, he brought this, this idea to me that life is not a project. None of these things are projects, right? They're all processes and everything is born out of like continual effort. So that means that you can't expect the, you know, if, if I am going to go try to juggle or walk a tightrope, I'm not going to get it right the first time. I'm going to, I'm going to drop the balls. I'm going to have to pick them up again and try again and have somebody who's better at it. Show me what I'm doing wrong and teach me techniques. And that's equally true with any kind of knowledge work. If you're trying to write good content, you're not just going to write a perfect article. The first time you try, you're not going to write the perfect tutorial. The first time you put pen to paper, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to leave things out. You're going to skip context. You're going to completely forget a step. You're going to do something that like people are going to be like, well, this isn't the best tutorial I've ever read. Right. But it's better than no tutorial. And the next tutorial you write, you're going to have that piece of feedback. Like, oh, I'm not going to forget that step this time. Oh, I'm going to remember to include this context. And each of those reps, each of those things is an iteration of the process. And it always feels like it's a, a gain of a millimeter, a gain of an inch. Right. But it takes a long time to build that skill set. So gaining those inches is really important and being consistent and embracing the fact that you're going to get a little bit better each time you do it is how you become somebody that everybody looks at and says, well, I can't believe they can do that. You know, people might look at my stream and think, wow, it's so well produced. It's so polished. It does all this stuff. And, you know, that's because I've done 250 of them, right? <laughs> like, I've made 250 episodes of Learn with Jason. And, and the first one was me and a zoom call and a, and like a quick time screen recording. That was the whole episode. So
So as I went, I was like, oh, this could be better. That could be better. What if I did sound effects? What if I use this tool? And it's, it slowly evolved into this thing that it is now. And I have a whole bunch of things that I want to make better and, you know, give me another 250 episodes and maybe we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. Yeah. I, I saw you had 250, which is crazy. So we, this is um, probably like the 75th episode of uh, Pod Rocket. Um, but we've learned so much just from, I mean, I, I told this on a previous podcast. Uh, we started, I just Googled like how to record uh, mm. like audio remotely. Like that's where we started. I was just like how to record stuff. Um, and it is like, uh, you know, I think content in general uh, is like a living, breathing thing. You just have to, it's, there is that desire to like, just like delete stuff that's old and, but you do have to kind of go back and say, how can we improve this? Um, I totally get the, the urge to like, okay, it's not totally perfect. So let's just re- restart this whole thing. Um, but, but yeah, you can't, you can't eliminate those, those learnings for sure. I think that's a big urge for people is, is always, you know, well now knowing what I know, I'll get it right this time. Right. <laughs> and, and this is everything, right? Like we we're doing this right now with the, you know, we, we got a house, right. And, and there are things we don't like about it. So we're like, well, should we move? Like the next house would be better, right? We can yeah. make it better. <laughs> the next time. It's like, no, everything is always going to be less than perfect. And that's going to be, you know, the, like where you live, wh- who your friends are, what choices you make with your professional or personal life, everything is going to have its ups and downs and it's, it's good sides and it's bad sides. And I think it's easy to be optimistic and, and, you know, the whole grass is greener thing where you say, well, if I make a different choice, all of the downsides of this choice go away and there will be no more new downsides. It's like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not how this is going to work. Right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, another thing you mentioned was, uh, so in uh, developer experience, it's easy to burnout. Um, and it's, it's easy to work on a lot of things. And then it's from there, it's easy to burn out. Um, I was watching a talk of yours, um, I think from it was 2018, um, about, uh, you know, work life balance and um, how you were working like 70 hour, 80 hour weeks. Um, and I'm curious, kind of your thoughts, how they've shifted from um, like with COVID where there was like a solid year and a half where like all of us and companies, people had to like really address not burning out because kind of all we could do was work. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess I'm kind of curious your thoughts there. Yeah. Um, So the, the, the big thing that I ran into is that for a long time, I would equate my level of busyness with my worth as a person. And I felt like having lots of side projects, having lots of clients, being overloaded was a sign that I was valuable. And that made it really, really easy for me to say yes to everything. Because when somebody would say, hey, do you want to do this? I would say, oh, my value is going to go up. I'm going to say yes. And what I learned, um, I got some really good advice from, good advice from a, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. John Berardi, who he w- had started a company and and he was kind of in the same the same general boat totally different industry but 
he was getting asked like, Hey, can you do the, write the forward for my book? Can you speak as a, a keynote at this event? Can you fly over here to be on this, you know, this board, whatever. And he said, what I've realized as I've grown in my career is that my value is not increased by doing more things. My value is increased by doing more important things with more intention. So at the beginning of his career, he could get to do more important things by saying yes to everything. That's how you, that's how you gain a network. That's how you get your foot in the door. That's how you gain the experience that allows you to determine, like, I want to do this work, but not that work. Right? So earlier in your career, you say yes to everything. Then as you start to advance, you kind of hit another stage in your career where, where now there are, there's a, a point where things that you're getting asked to do don't actually help you. They, they kind of get in the way of things that you want to do. So you have to kind of intentionally say no to some things um, because you want to be able to do the things that do help you, that, that do provide value. And then as you really start to establish, like, this is what's important to me. This is call it your life's work, call it your mission, call it your, your core focus, whatever you, you have a lot of big work that you're trying to do. That is the thing that you're focused on. And that means now you have to say no to most things because if a sufficiently advanced or, or ambitious goal is going to take 40 hours a week. And that means that you can't go speak at this event. You can't, you know, take on a, a side project that's really fun and really exciting. Those you, you have to start choosing what you're optimizing for. And is your, is your goal to do more things, but less of each of those things, or is your goal to do one thing that's, that's really big and impactful. And what you're optimizing for is, is absolutely a personal choice. But I think we have to acknowledge that as we advance in our career and, and grow our networks and build our resumes, we're going to have access to do more things than we have hours in the day to actually accomplish. And so it's really important to actually take inventory of the stuff that we're doing and make sure that like, what do I actually want to accomplish? Right? Like this is an exercise that I don't think people do sit down and write out like Sarah Drasner has an exercise that I love where she, she makes a matrix and she says, what are my core values? So she picks like four things that are like the big thing she's trying to accomplish. And then she takes everything that she's working on. And she's just like, does the thing that I'm doing hit any of these, like, does it fall into any of these quadrants? And it should ideally fall into more than one of them, right? You should see each project in two or three spaces, if not all four. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't fall in any of the quadrants, why are you doing it? What value does it bring? And a lot of times the value is, well, I committed to it and I don't want to let somebody down. And it's, you know, you don't want to do it. You don't enjoy doing it, but you told somebody you would, so you're going to follow through. And I think that's a, um, you know, the way, one way that she described burnout that I really like is burnout is not working too many hours. Burnout is spending too much of your energy on things that don't align with your core goals. And so if you, if you work on things that are out of alignment with what you're actually trying to accomplish, that's a grind. And it starts to feel like you're having all your energy sort of sapped away. So as you're, as you find yourself in a position in your career where you have more opportunities than you have hours in the day, start doing this exercise of really thinking through what am I trying to accomplish? What have I actually committed to? Where does my time go in the day? And write down everything, write down, like I wrote emails, I got on this phone call, I did this thing write all that stuff down and look at it and say, okay, what purpose was each of these things in service? of? Because if I'm writing an email to move forward my big project, great. 
If I'm writing an email because somebody that I don't know has asked me for advice without Googling for any of my articles to see if I've already answered that question somewhere, I'm not, I'm not helping anything, right? I'm, I'm basically saving somebody from having to Google something at the expense of a lot of time. So it, it's starting to be really, you know, kind of pragmatic and, and a little bit cold hearted about it, which is hard to do because, you know, we love building community. We want to help everybody. We want to make everything better. But saying no is the sort of thing that lets you actually make a big impact as opposed to making an impact, a little bit of impact in a lot of places until you burn out and then disappear. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so kind of along those lines, um, like how much time are you, like how much time do you dedicate with, you know, learn with Jason uh, and then, you know, versus your day job, I guess, like how, how does, where does all that, how do you have enough time in the day? <laughs> so I was very fortunate that I, like learn with Jason is something that I designed to be valuable to companies. And as a result, I was able to build it into my employment. So I, I have learned with Jason as part of what I do for my job. Um, that's really the only way I'm able to keep doing it. Cause if I had to do it on the side, it would be done. Um, so I, I negotiated that in as, as part of my previous role when I was an individual contributor. And then when we talked about moving me to the VP role, it was, this was a big point of discussion is like, Hey, I'm not ready to let this go. So how do we work this into the role? And, um, you know, the, fortunately like Netlify is very aware of the importance of community and they're aware that, that the work that I'm doing on learn with Jason feeds that. So it wasn't really a negotiation. It was like, okay, cool. Let's make it work. (laughs) So, so it is. And and again, you know, that's one of the reasons I work here is it it, Netlify's focus is like that. It's not like, well, what do you do for us? What do you do for us specifically? How are you putting dollars in our pocket? It's very much like, how do we make this community stronger? Because the rising tide lifts all ships. Um, So I spend about, I would say I work the average week. I work 40 hours. I'm, I'm pretty intentional about not exceeding 40 hours. I think we occasionally have like a big launch coming up or something goes wrong that I wasn't expecting. And maybe I'll get up toward 45, but then I'll like take the next Friday off because I, I want it to balance out, right? Like I've having burned out, I am very intentional with like, my team takes a lot of time off. You know, the, the people on my team have taken around four weeks of vacation each, uh, this year. And, and that's very encouraged. We have minimums. We, we will like measure our managers on whether or not their direct reports are taking their PTO. Um, because we know like if you're overworking, if you're consistently putting 60 hours a week in, like you're not going to do that for very long. You know, you might give us six great productive months and then you're going to get burned out and then you're going to be still working 60 hours, but your productivity is going to go down. And then you're going to be frustrated by that. So you're going to try to put in more hours and burn out faster. And then you're going to quit and it's all going to feel terrible for everybody. So it's easier for us. It's better for, it's better for the people working at Netlify. It's better for us as the leadership at Netlify to, you know, even if somebody's really excited and they want to work all the way through the weekend to be like, Hey, go, go outside. Like this will be here on Monday. Like we, we, <laughs> we want you to be here for a long time. So, you know, don't, don't let this be something that, that eats your whole life. You want to, you want to be a whole person outside of this company. Um, and when we get that right, we have people who stay with us for a long time. And when we get it wrong, we've, we've seen people burn out. And my, my hope is that, uh, we, you know, lead, lead by example at the leadership level and, and really help like, you know, put the right incentives in place for managers so that it, it becomes a cultural thing where you 
you should be working a normal amount of time. Like I, I think there's even an argument to be made that 40 hours is, is maybe too many. Um, in a given week, there's some research that shows that might, it maybe should be less. Uh, so I don't think anybody should go over 40 <laughs> personally. I'm, I'm pretty in favor of, of, uh, of hard capping that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, do you have, so kind of along those lines, do you have, um, like right now it seems, you know, everyone's hiring engineers. Um, like, do you have advice for kind of building an engineering team, um, uh, hiring engineers, growing an engineering team? Um, I guess, except outside of, uh, uh, capping at 40 hours, um, is there other kind of, uh, uh, thoughts you have there? Yeah, I think, uh, as, as you're trying to build out an engineering team, the, the trick that I'm seeing is that a lot of companies are struggling to recruit and retain engineers. And I think that there are a couple things that, that go particularly poorly. And one of them is, is that once somebody's hired, it can be easy to just assume that they're going to stay. Um, we have seen over and over again, like 18 months, two years, people are going to start looking again. That's, People hit two years, they get 50% vested in their options. They're like, okay, I'm, what are you going to do to keep me here? And a lot of times the company says, well, nothing, you got a job. And they go, okay, cool. I'm going to go get a different job. And so as, as companies, I think we need to get better at recognizing that it is significantly cheaper and more beneficial to retain the employees we have by providing the right incentives, by giving people really competitive raises, by monitoring what the the rest of the industry looks like and making sure that if, you know, if everybody's getting offered 30% more than they're making right now to go work at another competitor company, Hey, maybe we need to give everybody a 30% raise. Like, does that look terrifying on paper? Sure. But how much does it cost to lose those people and then hire their replacements at 30% more? Cause that's what the market says. And then spend all the time training and getting them onboarded. Right. It's more expensive to do that. So there's some math that I think is easy to ignore because you know the spreadsheet is feels static when you look at a spreadsheet like that, but it's not. You know, people are always kind of saying, "Hey, can I? Am I getting treated fairly? Am I getting what I deserve out of this this company?" Um, and you know, there's a lot of arguments that maybe we're in a bit of a bubble in terms of like really, really, really high dev salaries, and and who knows? Maybe that's true, but it what is true doesn't affect what's going to change the way things happen and. The way things happen right now is that if you don't pay somebody competitively, somebody else absolutely will. And they will, they will give somebody a giant raise to steal them away from your company. So, um, it, it's maybe less about what's factually correct and more about what's going to happen. Um, I think the other thing too, when you're talking about engineers is, uh, not just engineers, but like companies in general, we're remote now, like we, companies are remote. There's, there's a large contingent of companies that are probably never going back to the office. Uh, Netlify canceled its lease. It doesn't have an office anymore and has no intention of getting one. We're, you know, at the leadership level, we're talking about how do we, how do we create like little hubs where people can hang out if they want, but like, we're not, there won't be an office. And that is, um, that's a new landscape because how do you create a company culture that feels real when you don't ever see your whole company together outside of an annual all hands and maybe some team meetings and, and stuff like that. Video meetings don't 
feel naturally casual. You know, I think the the thing that we're missing from offices is you used to go out to lunch with people. You would walk down the hall with them. You would somebody would be having a, a barbecue. And because you were all working in the same office, you would get invited to that. These are all things that have just completely evaporated in, in the pandemic times, you know, not not least of which because like people don't go places or at least haven't been going places until very recently. So how are companies going to create that that community? Um, I think like one of the ways that, that I've been saying this recently, and I don't know if I'm the first one to say, I imagine I'm not, is you know, work is not a family. Work is a community. So you you can't say like, hey, we're a family here, right? Because that's that's weird. It's emotionally manipulative. It's not how companies work. But work is a community. I am choosing to be a part of this group, and I want this group to be a group that I'm excited to be a part of, right? Like, and and that means that you have to build that community. And community building takes effort. It's especially hard to put that effort in when you don't have the incidental stuff like lunches and hallways that causes some of that community building to happen incidentally. Um, so what are we doing as companies to actually create the foundation of trust and, and uh, connection that, that teams need to have? Like, do we have private team Slack channels where they can make jokes and vent a little bit and, and not have the whole company weighing in on, on a decision? Uh, can we create space in meetings that's not like scheduled fun time because that's the worst, but can you create a, a meeting structure where it's okay to banter and waste, quote unquote, 10 minutes in the meeting to talk about your weekend and make silly jokes and talk about a movie that you all liked and just do the stuff that makes people into a team and not a loose collection of colleagues. Um, so I think these are going to be really, really important. You know, I mean, it's, it, it, I feel like the formula is simple, right? Like pay people fairly treat them well, make the job a place that gives them energy instead of drains their energy. And, you know, uh, all of that assumes that you're working on a product that somebody can care about. Like you should be proud of the thing you're building. And if, if all of those things are true, you're going to keep the people there, but it's really easy to let each of those things slip individually. So, you know, it's a, it's going to be a constant effort. And I think it's going to be even more so a constant effort in a, a post all remote world because it's you know it just it doesn't happen incidentally anymore you can't rely on teams to just hang out into feeling connected you have to build that connection right yeah i like that idea of like setting time aside like during a, like kind of working hours maybe because mm -hmm. i know we did a lot of virtual happy hours uh the last few years we've done quite a few and um it just feels different because it's like yeah. then you have to sign on and then it's kind of like you kind of lose that train of thought by the end of the day. Like, oh, I want to tell someone about this movie I saw or, you know, yeah. it kind of comes up like when you're talking to people organically. Um, so I like that idea. I know yeah. I was like when we were all working uh, fully remote, it was um, uh, like I was like word vomit. Like, <laughs> I guess I'm super extroverted and <laughs> I would say I'm the most extroverted on my team. Um, so I feel like sometimes it was like, I would just be talking and um, yeah, I was just had to go somewhere, you know? <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. Um, okay. So what do you, what would you like to plug or would you like to point our listeners to anything sure. or a channel or. Um, yeah. Um, I, yeah. so I spend entirely too much time on Twitter. So you can find me on there. I'm at Jay Langstorff. 
Uh, I also have a whole bunch of content about learning things for the web at learnwithjason.dev. And if you want to ask me Netlify questions, um, you know, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. That's that's easy. Um, I hang out in a Discord called the Party Corgi Discord. It's at uh, partycorgi.com, and that'll give you a link to join. Um, you can always there's there's a good web dev community in there that kind of goes beyond the uh, beyond just tech. It's a bunch of a bunch of goofballs being weirdos together. It's very fun. Um, we play video games. We talk about food and crochet and music and whatever else. So um, hang out with me there. And then, yeah, just check out, uh, just check out this Jamstack community, you know, go, go poke around with some of the, the tools and toys that, that you can build. Um, there's a, a ton of stuff on explorers.netlify.com if you want to see some of the things you can build. Um, lots and lots of links to follow from there to, to just get deeper in and, and try this stuff out because it's, it's really exciting. It's a really fun time to be a front end dev and, and I would be very happy to build some fun stuff with you. Awesome. Well, Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, We appreciate it and we'll see you around. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. Find us at Pod Rocket Pod on Twitter, or you could always email me, even though that's not a popular option. It's Brian at LogRocket.